Welcome to Food Safety University, episode number seven. And today we have a fabulous guest, uh, Ted LeBeau from Kitchen Table Consultants. And again, like always, y'all are going to want a pen and paper for this one because we are dropping all the goodness about how to do business planning, where to go, what are the questions that you need to ask and before you even start doing business planning, and what are some of our best tips for people just getting into food production businesses. So pull the chair, start listening. Happy holidays, everybody. We'll see you with a live podcast next week. Bye, guys. Welcome to the Food Safety University podcast presented by Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele of Dirigo Food Safety. Tune in to learn food safety in plain English. We will break down the ins and outs of the food code, HACCP plans, you name it. We make food safety simple, easy, and even fun. Now here is your host, Dr. P. You know, here's the thing about us, Michelle, so you understand, is, is, that, is that we provide business advice without judgment, right? right. Mm. With our job to pull out of the client, much as we did with, you know, with Don, like, okay, what do you want to do? What do you know? And then it's and then it's our job to hold up a mirror to them relative to what they know and they're trying to apply. So somebody who said, hey, I want to do seasonal game processing, I would take them through, I mean, we almost always go back to the financials. That's where we will head really quickly. And so like, hey, if seasonal game processing is where your passion is and you're an entrepreneur and you can understand how it does or doesn't work, Let's figure that out and then decide if it makes sense financially. So I don't have a strong opinion on seasonal game processing as a standalone. I have a strong opinion on it as to how, actually don't have an opinion on it until the, the, the client or entrepreneur says, this is how I think my business is gonna work, right? So we'll take them through the whole budgeting process to say, where are your sales coming from? How much are you charging for stuff? How many do you think you're gonna bring in? What are your costs going to be? And if seasonal game processing fits in, great. And if it doesn't, hey, you know, so I don't, I won't take, I'll be careful not to take a stance too early in a process because somebody else has got a dream, right? Our job is to help entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. We are not corporate America. So um, everybody we work with is passionate. So that so so you might not get the answer that you want in that seasonal game processing, but I'm happy to have that conversation. <laughs> okay, and so with that, we're just gonna roll and I'm gonna introduce you. This is today's podcast guest, Ted LeBeau. That was such a great introduction. I'm totally not cutting it. Ted, introduce yourself and we're just gonna like roll on that because that was such a great introduction to the podcast. Um, so do I need to go ahead and introduce myself? So my name is Ted LeBeau. I am the CEO and co-founder of Kitchen Table Consultants. We are a 15-person nationally-based food and farm business management consulting firm. In 2019, we worked with 144 clients, all of whom were food or farm related. 50% of them were farms, most of whom are selling direct to consumer. Many of them are also selling wholesale. Almost all are working in the local foods arena in some level of sustainable, organic, regenerative agriculture. 35% was in the, are in the supply chain. So those are everybody from meat processors to vegetable aggregators, to fertilizer producers, to anybody who is supplying food or supplying to a um, farm. And then the last little bit of our business uh, is 
um, a combination of local food retailers and nonprofits serving the regional food system. So in 2019, those 144 clients employed a little over 1,000 people, farmed a little over 10,000 acres, and sold a little over $100 million, $100 million in local foods in that year. And we work in five areas with the business. The first one is, is finance. So we'll provide a client with everything from bookkeeping to controller to CFO services, then marketing, strategy and execution. In fact, we're spinning off our marketing services division um, at the end of this year, beginning of next year to offer, to have a separate company, we're merging it with another one to offer marketing services. Um, general management consulting. So that's just anything you need to have done, which could be anything from a virtual management team where we come in and we operate as a CFO, COO, HR manager, sales manager, um, and then just projects. Uh, strategic planning, everything from business plans, feasibility studies, turnarounds, and fundraising. We've raised over $80 million in debt equity and donations for our clients over the years. And the last place that we do is group education. So we're running three roundtables of farmers across the country, two in Pennsylvania, one in California, where we bring together farmers first for a two-day train and intensive training seminar, and then quarterly uh, roundtables where we bring the group together, share their financials, and have them solve problems as a group. Um, I personally have run 14 businesses and owned all or part of 10. My first business was a farm, um, and I've been doing this consulting work since 2009. Uh, our goal is to grow to 50 people serving 500 businesses a year across the country. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. I love that so much. And I'm so happy you're here on the podcast today because there is, <clears throat> in the work that we do, right? And so we send you know clients back and forth to each other um, because the way we look at it is that you can't run a food business without food safety. And if your food safety isn't designed with your business goals in mind, you know, um, you can't, you're, you're, you're never going to make it, you're never going to make it work, right? And so the, um, so I'm so happy to have you here on the, on the podcast talking about all of these, these different areas of things that you work with, you work with people uh, around. And so when people are when when people come to me and they're and they say, hey, Dr. P, I need a I need a facility because of course you know we sell facilities, right? And there we've identified a few places where um, there are potentials for stops and holdups in the process. And one of those the the key points is client business acumen, as we have determined. So could you talk a little bit about when people have a, a, a dollar and a dream, right? Uh, and uh, they're like, I see a problem in the marketplace and I want to go solve it, but they've never processed food before, or they've done it only, you know, like on the peripheries. What do you tell them? What's your process with them? And what do they do next? <laughs> so the first thing I have to explain is there's only two things you need to know to be an entrepreneur. The first one is how to use Excel. And the second one is how to plunge a toilet. Now, those are euphemisms, obviously. The Excel part to be an entrepreneur is, I mean, I love Excel because it's a structured process by which to solve a problem, right? If you're using rows and columns and cells and numbers. And one of the things that we've learned over the years from the Excel standpoint is, is that we will always, because of who we are, 
you drive back to safety because that's your expertise and your niche and your knowledge. And every time I talk to you, I'm, I'm impressed at your ability to bridge the business and the safety and the people, right? We've had numerous conversations with this and your clarity on business safety and people is really, really a great thing. So from our standpoint, we look at Excel, why? Because it's a structured way to solve problems and to run scenarios, right? Really quickly. That's the first part. And it's not just using Excel, it's a thought process. How are you solving the problem? Many people in the food system, in the local sustainable food system are totally passionate about what they do. They jump into it with both feet. They're really excited about it and they go make it happen. And then at some point in that journey, they've got to get some structure in order to make sure that they're sustainable by all legs of the sustainability stool, one of which is economic, right? The second part, is you gotta be able, you know, you gotta know how to plunge a toilet. Well, why, what do I mean? Not literally plunge a toilet, although it's important, is, is that you're willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen, right? Any obstacle that gets in your way, you're gonna do. It's not too dirty, right? It's not too messy, it's not too hard, it isn't something you wanna warm. Now, obviously, as you grow a business, there's certain things you will or won't do. But to this day, I have been in a client's facility with a toilet overflowing and I'm jumping in and saying, we gotta get this fixed now, because guess what? Somebody is coming to look and we need to get this solved quickly and that's not a not me. So those are the so th those are kind of the basis of what we talk about when we, when we look at entrepreneurs. So, but when we build a business plan or we're talking with an entrepreneur, the first thing we're going to is, do you know if you're profitable or not, right? And, and so I don't care how much, we don't care how much profit you make. We care that you know how you're profitable. So it, as long as you've got the model and the ability to see that, that's where we will drive to every time. We start with a budget, we build a balance sheet, we look at debt, and then we go build a business plan and talk about your objectives and what your dreams are and everything else kind of all mixed in. But at the end of the day, we're going to look at that bottom line and say, are you generating the profit that you expected to generate? And will that profit allow you to live personally and allow you to pay your investors or your bank back? And one of the other things that I use regularly, it's really easy to raise money. It's very hard to pay it back. And what do I mean by that, right? I can't tell you how easy the SBA has all kinds of guarantees. FSA has all kinds of guarantees. People get really excited about funding the next new whatever. And you, <clears throat> if you've shown a few successes, or even if you have, and you've got some collateral, you can go raise money. It's not that hard. You put the plan together. Now, I mean, you and I know this. It's what you do day to day, right? When the rubber hits the road or the cow hits the floor, right? Now what? Building that business plan is really the easiest part. In fact, I like to go through business planning with a client and have it come out the other end and says it doesn't work. Or here's seven questions that you've got to answer before you go get funding. I don't know. I think I, I don't know if I answered your whole question. Yeah, no, you totally did. And you brought up another one. Like one of the things that I talk to my clients about when they start approaching their food safety, um, because sometimes there, there are kind of two ways people come to me is that they are trying to they're uh, they're in like a recall right and and it, their shit is hitting the fan and oh my god they're going to shut us down because of x y or z and so we fix you know we fix the acute problem but there's always there's always a a, a chronic problem that led to that acute problem there was there was a multiple multiple decisions that led us to where we are and we've got to have the tolerance to go fix that 
or they say, I want to go pass an audit, you know, and they got to get SQF or, or just even pass a Hasselbutter or whatever. Um, and my question for them when we, when they come to me is, is, is always like, what result are you trying to create? And I always push back if that result doesn't have to do with profit, because I talk to people about profit being a discipline. Right, because anybody can grow a perfect tomato. Anybody can, maybe not anybody, but you know, making the perfect cupcake, that sort of thing, making it profitably and being constrained to the discipline of profit is incredibly difficult for people. And so when you're doing the business planning process, what are the pushbacks that you see from people where they're like, oh, but it doesn't matter. Like I have in my mind, they're saying, yeah, well, that doesn't matter as much as you know, this. What do you, how do you see them pushing back against the, the, the discipline of the business planning process to get to the discipline of profit? Well, I'm gonna inject something and then we can come back to it just as a placeholder. What you're describing is about clients wanting, you know, when they wanna to talk to us, right? We're both, we're both selling consulting. The vast majority of our clients are talking to us when they're in pain. Right. And that's when they're willing to buy when they're in pain. And usually it's people pain or money pain for us. And for you, it's there. It's, it's some semblance of that. But the reality is it's, oh, crap, the shit's hitting the fan. I have a recall. I need to fix this. Right. So let's go back to So I want to come back to that part. It's, I want to put a placeholder on that because we do a lot of what I call turnaround work, which is people or money being processed, having pain in addition to the business planning work. I love doing the business planning work. I actually like more doing the turnaround work than I do the business planning. Because in the turnaround work, you've already got, and it's much similar to you. You're already in an existing facility. Everything's running. There's a problem and we need to fix it. There's momentum. There's people. There's motivation. There's already things going on. And that is really fun to fix. Back to your, what are the roadblocks that I hear for people in a business planning standpoint? Or what are the things that are recurring there? Number one, they'll tell me, you don't understand I, you know, I, I've, I've successfully done these things. And my answer many times is, but have you successfully done this, right? Have you actually run a meat processing plan? Have you spent a month, a day, a year, two day, you know, two weeks in a processing plan to really feel it? Uh, no, I'm just, I just know there's a market opportunity. Wow. Like, why don't you go spend some time there, right? So that, so the first one is the true level of experience running an operation. And one of the things that scares me is, is when somebody who doesn't have actual experience in running a business is going out to raise a significant amount of capital to do that. That's just dangerous, right? The chances of that failing is ever increased. So my guidance when we're doing business planning like that is, is let's, let's, if they're, if they're determined they're going to do it, then you can pay for experience one of two ways, right? <clears throat> you can buy it by hiring somebody who's done it and making them part of the team and you're going to spend more either by providing them with equity into what you're doing or by paying them more for that experience or you can pay for it through mistakes right those are the two ways you get to the place where you need to go and so having that conversation with with a business planning person that says hey i'm going to figure this out i'm determined great and let's plan for losses or not as much profit so that you've got some wiggle room or let's make sure in your staffing decisions, you're hiring somebody that has significant capability. <clears throat> That's probably the number one thing that we see in the business planning process is this 
the you know the the, the planning part is the hard part. The raising the money. They think the planning and the raising the money is the hard part. It's not. The execution is the hard part. <clears throat> that would be the number one thing. And, and the second one is everybody gets mad at me because I don't say this quite right, but there is no opportunity too good to pass on. I have to do this now, Dr. P. If I don't do it right now, uh, it's ne I'm never going to get the chance to do it again. It's just it, the time is right. I've got to make it happen right now. <clears throat> I've seen very few unicorns where if you don't do it right now, everything falls to pieces. In fact, most of the time when you rush to do something, you, you've given it a greater chance of falling to pieces in my, in my experience. Well, and I think that's, I think that's really true because there, I mean, I see people do that with their, with like getting SQF or going, you know, going for a big, going for a big audit. I have to land this client in order to land this client. I need an SQF audit. And then what we see is, is that they haven't, they haven't built the steps of discipline to do right. all of the things that will then lead, lead them to successfully pass an audit. And as an entrepreneur myself, right, I can totally see that you're not, you know, if, if you're not, if, if you don't have a good idea and are focusing every day on how much money it took you to make that one pound of product, and understanding where you are when, when you're like, I've got to, you know, put on a, buy a facility or put on an addition or whatever, you know, have Dr. P build me a processing room. And you just want to jump to it. You've missed, you've missed the foundation. Yep. You've missed the foundation. That's you said something really key, which is you need to know whether you're in our world, you need to know whether you're successful every day. Many people say, well, I look at my profit and loss periodically and it tells me how I'm doing. And the problem with that is, is that in, a, in effect, it's a rear view mirror, right? Sure. At the end of the month, you run, run your P&L and, and you, you do reconciliations and 10 or 12 days later, you have the financials. And now you know you spent way too much labor. Wait, that doesn't help me. I've just wasted 45 days. Now it's going to take me another two weeks so I'm 60 days behind in figuring it out. So we like to put systems in place into our facilities that tell management, rank and file, everybody, did you do what you were supposed to do today? So that tomorrow you can adjust if you need to. Right, and we talk about that. We talk about that in the after action report. Like, so it's like, again, in my, in my business, Yep. At the end of every day, Andrew and I have a conversation about what did we accomplish today? What worked? What didn't work? And what are we going to do differently? What are we going to do differently tomorrow? And, and the way I look at it and the way I encourage my clients to look at it is every day is the day that we make money. Yep. Today is the day that the, that the P&L is positive. Today is the day that we make the sale. Today is the day that we... Uh, you know, discipline ourselves to the costs or whatever, whatever it is that you need to do. And it's a, it's a, um, you know, much like food safety is an everyday choice. You know, you make a, you make a choice every time you're in the bathroom, whether or not you're going to wash your hands. Right. And you either have the culture that creates that, or you don't have the culture that creates that and you've got to change it. And I think profit and, and profitability and understanding your costs uh, is the same way. Um, 
and that people have to make the people have to make the choice every single every single day. So what do you see? Do you see do you see any common themes in the people who are coming? So now that now somebody's in pain, right? What didn't they do before they called you that lands them in the hot water that says, Oh my God, now I really need now I really need the, the financial help, the CFO, the business planning, all of that, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> they had no workable budget. So like the day-to-dayness of the of the budget. This is how much we're spending on labor. This is how much we're spending on raw materials. Like yeah, that doesn't on the, exist. You know, in every level of the business. So let's just use a let's use a co-packer as an example, right? Or, well, you know, let's use a livestock processor as an example, right? So the, the there's no budget involved in what are they charging to process the animal? Well, that's what my neighbor is charging. Great. Okay. If your neighbor's charging that, how do you translate that into a budget on the factory floor of how much time you have to use for that animal? Okay, I can't do that. That's too much detail. All right. So the next one is, I think my, you know, uh, is a financial budget, right? So if I'm going to run this amount of animals through my facility and charge this amount of money, how much money should I be using for my labor? And then how do I convert that labor to the dollars to hours? so that I can normalize my management process. So by budget, I mean, we, you know, usually when you, this goes back to, I can raise money, but then it's hard to pay it back. When somebody decides to build one of your buildings, one of your facilities, they, they get a dollar amount, right? They get a budget. Yeah. And, and if you charge them more than that, they're gonna come back and go, wait, Dr. P, wait, 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 you told me it was going to be this amount of money and it's more. And you're going to say, well, you changed something and I told you to change something, but we started with a budget, right? And so using a budget that you can come back to is probably the number one thing that I see people having a problem with. The second one is them saying, <clears throat> and especially in and around labor, well, it, I, it, I've tried to reduce labor, but every year, you know, minimum wage goes up and I just can't, just, it's just not possible. <clears throat> and, 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 you know, my answer is, well, have you ever figured, have you ever gone out and told the factory floor that they have this many hours to do this project in? No. Well, why not? <laughs> and then think about it that way. How would they understand? Well, you know, so, so budgets, like estimates, communication, setting those goals. If you don't know where you're going, any place will do. Right. Right. Mm. That's the number one thing that I see is, is that people are. So what happens in a business and I call it a pyramid, a pyramid of business operations at the base level. <clears throat> it's about employees. Right. They're your most single, most important asset. Are they safe? Uh, do, are, are, do they have a, a consistent work? You know, do they know that you care about them? The second level is about your customers, which is quality. Right. Are they are they getting a good product for a fair price? Are they happy? Are, you know, are they getting something that's safe in the food business? And then the top of the pyramid is, is efficiency, which is about the health of the business. And almost, it's, it's almost always the last thing that a passionate, you know, it's the opposite of corporate America. Corporate America, all they care about is, am I making a profit? Am I giving a return to my shareholders? And they, you know, we all just don't think that they care about anything else. They do, but, but you know, that's what drives corporate America is profit. In entrepreneurial America, that's the last thing, right? 
But if you aren't able to think and care about that, what happens pretty quickly is, is that your quality for your customers degrade and your employees have turnover and everything else. So it's a self-fulfilling issue. So what I see more often than not going into these, these, these food businesses that are passionate about changing the world ultimately, right? I mean, we're, we're trying to create a different outcome for our farming and food systems than we have today. And I'm not going to espouse one is right or wrong, but we're, but that's what we're trying to do so that long-term in the future, our, my great, great grandchildren have a great alternative for getting great food that takes care of the environment, the community. The last thing that we're all thinking about is the efficiency part. But unfortunately, if you don't think about that, you're not going to have the opportunity to perpetuate the safety and the quality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, when I'm talking with people, we have we have these questions that we ask when something's going wrong, and I call it the STRIVE paradigm. And the S in STRIVE stands for safe. And the first question, you know, somebody comes to me with a recall or somebody comes to me with some some really big problem. And I'm like, are people safe to be making your product? And um, there are a lot of times the answer is no. You know, like I've gotten, well, my employees are risking third degree burns. Okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> we've got to we've got to solve that problem, right? You got to solve employee safety. Maslow's hierarchy of needs says if you are physically unsafe, it kind of doesn't matter what else you're doing. And then we look at financial safety. And I ask people how safe financially are the people who are working for you? Because if we have a listeria problem, right? And you've got third shift sanitation. My first question is is how many other jobs does third shift sanitation have? And are they really showing up to your process where we got to leave soap on the, uh, you know, like on, on the food contact surfaces for seven to 12 minutes? Well, somebody who feels financially unsafe, who knows that they have to get out of there by four o'clock and get the job done by four o'clock so that they can catch three hours of sleep so that they can go show up for their next shift at, at wherever it is that they're working at eight o'clock, those people do not feel financially safe. Huh? Yeah. And there is a like there is a, a direct line between that and a listeria problem, right? And then the third one is is are people emotionally safe on your floor? And that is harassment and bullying and uh, you know do you have a me too problem? Because of course that can be very rampant in food food production culture, right? And so this idea of safety and then if you look at financial safety and emotional safety. You can increase, like there's, there's research out of the University of Pennsylvania um, where they do the positive psychology research that the um, increasing the financial and emotional safety can increase profitability by like 50%. Mm -hmm. Simply by making people feel better while they are at work, you will have a positive return on your profitability. Makes sense. But in order to do that, people have to be able to tolerate negative emotion and failure and, and you know, like, like they have to be, frankly, um, more emotionally mature to deal with other people and how other people are acting. And that can be very challenging for people. And I think that has a direct, a direct reflection on the bottom line and the profitability of a, of a company. Hmm. I agree. Yeah. Cool. So, all right, so what are some things that you wish people knew that maybe we haven't covered already? Um, 
when they are starting the just starting the process you know they're like okay i know i have to have a business plan <clears throat> what are some things that i have to know um in the business planning process the questions that we're always going to start with is you're in the planning process go tell me who your actual customers are and go tell me how much they're going to buy so if you're going to, going to get in the processing business and you're and you're going to be using you're going to be selling to local farms first thing go identify every farm in a 100 mile radius that's going to that has the animals that you want to be able to slaughter and tell me how many they have right like spend the time to go tell me that there's act I want the name I don't want the USDA survey that says there's a thousand farms of 50 animals no when you're when you're out, when the rubber hits the road and you need to sell, you need to give me the names and the number of animals. So <clears throat> that's the first thing that I say. And then after you've given me that, I say, all right, so you need to pick 10 and go talk to them. Like literally go talk to them and say, this is my idea. This is what I'm gonna do. Are you interested? And ask them some good hard questions to make sure they're interested. And, and about 70% of the time, they're going to say, well, I'm not really quite ready for that. I want to get the whole business plan together. And, and I, I'm not sure. And my, that, then my comment is, well, basically what you're telling me is, is you're going to go raise a million and a half dollars and you're going to have that clicking away with interest and you're going to have employees in the facility and you're going to be getting ready to get ready for your sales. Right. Now you're spending 100 hours of your time and 10, 15, $20,000 of your money do the planning, wouldn't this be a better time to determine that in fact, what they need is chicken slaughtering, not beef slaughtering, and, and or, they, or they just have no interest at all and there's really not an issue, uh, and no, they don't like you or you don't like them, wouldn't this be a better time to do that before you sign up for a lot of money? And that usually gets their attention. So that's the number one thing that I would say to people, go actually prove that there's demand and not just by an internet search. You got to go talk to people. Knock on doors, Knock on doors. Hmm. have phone calls, ask for a commitment. It, it, as you get further along into the process, I, I tell all my clients to ask for purchase orders, ask for an actual commitment, right? Hey, I talked to you uh, three months ago about this plan and I'm about to go raise money. I, you know, could I, can I, if I do this, would you give me in writing a commitment that says you're, you've got this many animals and should I provide the right quality and the right pricing Then I'm willing to, uh, to send this many animals to you each year? Because that goes a long way in making sure that I can, you know, raise my money and feel like I'm going to be good about paying it back. That's really good. I really like that. Oh, I really like that. Cause that gives people, you know, proof of concept. So yeah. Well, the other part of it is, Michelle, is, is that if you're not willing to do that while you're raising money, holy smokes, like that just doesn't feel right to me, right? right? Like, like if you're not willing to go get out there in the traffic, make yourself vulnerable, well, well, what if I make a mistake and piss somebody off of those 10 that I talked to? Well, you found 100, so there's 90 others that you, or 99 others that'll be there. Right, you need to know that there's going to be animals coming through that door, or the large sucking sound at the end of the building is going to be your cash going out the down the drain, as opposed to in your bank account. Right. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And you 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 hit on the key word, which is vulnerability. Is that you've got to take your dream 
and put it out in front of somebody else and say, hey, does this solve a problem for you? <sighs> yep. And that's a vulnerable place for people to be in, but I think that's the entrepreneurship journey, right? Uh, yes, agreed. Yeah, so, okay, great. Well, this has been amazing. So tell everybody, Ted, how to get in touch with you, um, <laughs> where they can go for more information and get more of all this goodness. <laughs> so best place to go is to our website, www.kitchentableconsultants.com. And there's all kinds of information, downloadable forms, videos, all kinds of self-help. And then of course, if you're interested in a conversation, there's a form to fill out with a little bit of information and it will connect you with the right people to have a good conversation, whether it's me or one of our other people on our team that has more knowledge in a particular area, we'll get you to the right place. And we give the first few hours of a conversation for free because we want to make sure that, you know, there's actually a fit and we can provide some value. And because if there isn't, then we'll say there isn't and we'll move on. Perfect. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been super fun talking to you. It's super fun to work with you. And I am sure we will uh, talk again soon. Awesome. Likewise, too. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button and check us out at foodsafetyuniversity.com. We have free food safety guides waiting for you. See you next time.